understand what black is, the source from which all things come, the security blanket for the stars, understand what black is. It's not a color, it's the basis of all colors. It is not a complexion, it is a reflection of all complexions called human. And out of this blackness, passion flows like a river. Feelings tell the truth. Song and dance and making you laugh. You're listening to the Tom Fixon Show on WNHHLP. Understand what black is. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm even a little hesitant to to interrupt the, the last poets, but we'll, Harry, we'll play them. We'll probably stop like three or four minutes before I normally do, maybe around 11. 50, uh, 53 or so, and, and just play the, the entire Last Poets. I always like to remind people that certainly hip-hop and and uh, poetry and slams are, 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 are important. People use those languages, but the Last Poets remain one of my favorites from the 60s and 70s, um, just, just in, terms of, in terms of messaging. But when I think about that also, the word griot, G-R-I-O-T, seems to be whatever the griot words are in terms of communicating information and reality and perception over the centuries, there's always been griots, whether they've been called hip-hop people or mystics or, or wisdom bearers or astrologers. There's always been a desire in humanity to kind of point us in the right direction. Today, to point us in the direct, point us in the right direction as well as to reveal truth. And although truth is evolving, still to just uh, help us bring us back home to what a, a, a real truth is. We're going to discuss what real truth might be somewhat today, not necessarily the only the metaphysical or intellectual or theological space, but even just in terms of the carceral state and incarceration, uh, judicial procedures, um, the legal system. So we, we might not cover all these things today, gentlemen, with uh, Don, Don McCauley Jr. with me and James Jeter. We might not cover all of these these uh, eternal issues about who's in prison and who isn't or who should be uh, but we are going to at least uh, touch touch upon it a little bit from a real humane practical uh, real event situation um, James Jeter's with us as I mentioned as well as Don McCauley Jr. Uh, I have a, a few James I have a few nick nicknames for for, uh, for 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 Junior that I guess I can't reveal on, on air, uh, and, but and I, I don't really know some of some of some of your nicknames. But I'm sure you've been called a variety of things by your daughter and your and your and your number one significant other uh, at the at the moment. Well, what title should we share with people today, James, in terms of what keeps you keeps you uh, focused recently? What kind of job title? Uh, um, co-founders, executive uh, director of the Full Solutions Coalition. Program director of civic allyship uh, at Dwight Hall at Yale. Okay, so do me a favor and just repeat that once again because those are some important uh, uh, appendages to your. I, I know dad and 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 loving father are kind of yeah. your key titles, but but literally say say those uh, uh, those IRS income yeah. <laughs> uh, designations again for me. Uh, co-founder and executive director of the Full Citizens Coalition. And program director of civic allyship at Dwight Hall at Yale. Perfect. And, and brother Don McCauley Jr., what are some of the IRS and 
and uh, slave name and government name uh, designations that you have to abide by or recognize? I am um, I am the owner of Athlete Alliance Consulting. I am the owner of Athlete Alliance um, Foundation and assistant professor of sport and entertainment management um, at uh, Quinnipiac University. And I wanted people, I wanted to get that out of the way and for people to know that you, both of you come from a uh, a solid base of commitment 24 7 365 but we're gonna uh, but james is going to enable us to kind of talk about some other issues related to his job but related to all of our jobs about what does it mean to to be able to pursue life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and not be uh caught up in other people's web of their their designs their perceptions of us their caring for us can, can we can care for ourselves so James, set the stage a little bit for us. And we have 50, 55 minutes or so, so we don't oh. have to rush. And we can also, quite frankly, I'm, I'm going to mention right now, we can also kind of circle back and do do more. This is this th this does not have to be a one-off. Yeah. I have to be a one-off. So even if we just get one or two points across for 55 minutes, that's fine because this is a topic that needs uh that we need to take the consistent deep dive on. So kind of kind of set the stage about why when when uh, when when Junior called me, when Don McCauley Junior called me the one night around 10, 10 o'clock, he connected me with you, and we immediately jumped on, kind of convening via Zoom today on Friday, September fifteenth. Um, uh, broader broader issue is um, uh, growing up in New Haven, growing up um as a product of inner city New Haven, um. And being a, word, a, a, a wayward youth, you know, um, having a lot of my experiences come out of being in the streets at a really young age and winding up in, uh, in prison at a young age for an expensive amount of time. Um, coming home and having like a lot of doors open to me, uh, one thing that hasn't escaped me is that there are those who I left who, who never belonged there. Um, and the way that they got there was uh, uh, felonious. It was, mm. it, it was, you know, it, it was. Uh, it was criminal. It was criminal. It was tied to something completely uh, criminal and conspired mm -hmm. uh, between uh, institutions that we look to to uphold our communities and uphold, you know, what truth and justice. And so you have uh, a, a time period. In the Navy Police Department, where there was uh, a lot of embedded corruption within the ranks, and you had a lot of that corruption play out in these courtrooms and be codified in the law uh, by four four ADAs in the New Haven assistant uh, uh, attorneys, state attorney's office, and um, uh, and James, I think James, we'll, James, just just on that point, just to clarify. Uh, you're suggesting that there's the assistant attorneys and others that have sent people to jail that were innocent. Is that, yes. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? Super fair. Um, okay. so willingly. And, and this is coming from somebody who has no claims of innocence. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I own, I own and I daily work towards the harm that I've, I've done to my neighborhood and to the overall community in New Haven. Um, and yes, there are those who have been, maliciously, uh, criminally uh, prosecuted um, in the city of New Haven. Um, 
and we see it, but I don't think we understand what we're seeing. So we, we, we see it more of these individualized situations where, you know, this guy comes home and this guy comes home and this guy's the home. And we don't look at the fact that this is actually a small group of detectives, small group of ADAs that oversaw all of these cases and that we in our city hold uh, more than 50% of our state's exonerations. So we only make up 3% of its population. So, so say, say say that again. That uh, when when you mentioned the term exonerations, people found later in in life or later while they're still incarcerated, that the judicial system at that point said that they're they were innocent. Although early five or ten or fifteen years prior, judicial system said they were guilty. Yeah, and it's, in most cases, it's more like twenty or thirty or thirty five years prior, the judicial system said they were said they were guilty, and and um, you know. I think that's that's the that's the part is that it's easy to convict, but to have truth actually come to light, you know, the wheels just turn extremely slow on post conviction, and so um, you 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 see these slow drawn out processes, um, and this current this current situation that we're um, advocating for is a case that's thirty you know thirty one years in the making, um, and what case might that be? Uh, Malik Jones, and not uh, so. This is this is the to me some, one of the most interesting points of this is that when New Haven was home to two Malik Jones, one who was um, you know unfortunately and tragically killed by the police in 1996, another who was incarcerated and framed by the police department in 1992. Mm-hmm. And um, the the one you mentioned that uh was uh, was was murdered by the police. Uh, Emma's and, and Jimmy's uh, son. Yes. He was in the house, my house, uh, maybe four, four to five weeks prior. Four to five weeks prior talking to my son. Uh, but 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 continue. And I use the term murder uh not uh loosely or but when you think of Fred Hampton and, and other other murders and I'm with you. Uh-huh. The, yeah. so, but but continue, continue. Um and into Over- that. Yeah, and, and that's how small our city is. Um Malik was like my big brother on the school bus. You know, I was in, I was a little kid in the school bus. He made sure I was all right on the school bus, and he lived around the corner from my grandmother. And, and every time I saw him, it was always um, really good, a lot of love, a lot of camaraderie. And so we 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 hold so much in our community, you know, um, that never really gets uh, resolved. Um, and so, and and with the other Malik, you know, there's someone who as a child I also grew up seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the system became a really good friend of mine, like a big brother. And you know, thirty-one years ago, uh, the police charged him with a homicide in New Haven. They had nothing to do with, and it was it was it was a known fact by then. At that time, he had nothing to do with it. Um, you know, right now we we have like a popular TV show called The First Forty Eight, and the reason why it's called The First Forty Eight because most cases, the evidence, the truth in most cases is revealed whether they make an arrest in the first 48 hours they know exactly what transpired in the first 48 hours and if you examine the first 48 hours of this particular um case then you can see that this was clearly a malicious uh uh prosecution and a fraudulent arrest because they know who did it and um i briefly want to just bring in the deceased i want to bring in uh eddie hart because this young man has not had justice done for him Mm-hmm. He has been a pawn in all of this, and his family continues to suffer. Like, they have to relive all of this now 
because the police chose to use the the death of their loved one as as a pawn um, in what they wanted done and what they were doing, then really seek justice for a family. And, and so, thirty one years ago. Go ahead. No, no, please. No, no, use thirty. Complete that sentence, please. Oh, okay. So, so thirty one years ago, um, the, uh, Eddie Hart's life was was tragically, you know, tragically taken uh, at St. Rayfield's Hospital um, while visiting a friend. And, you know, the what what transpired out of that was anything but justice. And, and again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show and James Jeter's with us and Don McCauley Jr. Don, I want to bring you in because we're going we're gonna to still focus on just, just this one case but unfortunately, it's just not one case, but we're going to use it as an example that for this show. Uh, and, you know, I want to end when we get it like around 1150 or 1145, talking about the future, whether we see this, these dynamics still being in play, whether we see uh, what, what the future might hold in terms of our crystal ball. But Don, you, you called me uh, two or three weeks ago in, at 10 o'clock, and not that I'm not always open to talking to you at any time of the day but I, I had when i saw your name come across my screen i said this better be you know reasonably 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 important not, not pertaining to sidewalks or my automatic role or anything like that but so I, let me let me let me pick up it i picked up out of curiosity and you laid on my heart some stuff that really caused me to really say let's just let's just do this show at, at this point in time so what's what's the question what's the so question? you call so Tell me, what tell I, me what, what I call you. What, yeah, what generated uh, your uh, feeling uh, uh, driven to, to kind of enable us to kind of talk today at, on Friday, September 15th? So I've I've kind of watched James' work and Mr. Jetta's work over the past course couple years. Um, and I think not just this case and other things that individuals have worked on have thought about what does it look like for folks to um reorient themselves in society or just wrongful convictions and so in this particular case um I was young I think I had to be five or six <clears throat> still living in a close proximity to where the incident transpired um went up avenue um living in the community for majority of my life um I felt very connected and it, it shaped a lot of us in terms of space but also understanding that policing in its space has also been a large conversation in my own personal research. Mm. So um, even though I do um, work around athletics and entertainment, how I am profiled or how folks that I deal with are profiled in a particular way says a lot about how policing operates. And even in my just personal interactions, there have been times like, oh, you look like you a particular size and everything else. So this particular case resonated with me. Mm. And there are other cases and friends that have had these situations. Um, I th I think for me, I, I rest on the opinion that there are those that are innocent that have a larger space of proving themselves innocent and a, a difficulty, but also those that are guilty that are kind of like egregiously punished. Mm. And and so when I see this point, I think about the students that I work with in different spaces that I work with, I, I think it becomes important that some somebody has to step in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the person that steps in the middle may have something to lose or doesn't have something to lose. And I think that um, this is a cause and a topic that I'm very much interested in. Um, and not just because I'm interested, in, I think that there should have been more work done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, and I'll, James, if I'm, I'm cool to say this, the way it the way the topic is actually casted in terms of saying how the judicial system operates in a way where you have to deal with appeals and deal with the court system versus potentially some neglect or gross misconduct on a policing stage or policing level to say well this should have probably never happened and so we are trying, justice is trying to do this particular thing and retroactively try to create a atmosphere of justice, but it's in a context that probably should have never happened. Hmm. Hmm. And, 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 and I, I don't want to provide other examples, but we just see other things that are happening now. Um, I'll yeah, use a huge mm-hmm. example of a student that potentially could have tried to drown or you're playing. And this is vacated or or it's exonerated or the person's able to go home. And the reality is that the court decided at that moment to vacate particular things. But the reality is like, how does the person work? Because the, the justice system works in, in a very unique way where now I have to justify the appeal of the appeal mm-hmm. versus saying that the the evidence of proof t- for that person to be in the place wasn't really justified in that in that in that manner. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we retroactively think about justice in the in their specific arms and the gates and the traps in particular ways? Mm-hmm. Like, can I interject? I, I also no, also think that um how do how do we uh, retroactively uh, look at justice and at what what end? Because you I don't think you can look at justice or enact justice without enacting a reckoning mm-hmm. to a culture in a time period. And it's not one that anyone wants to revisit. Like I I really look at the nineties as a generation that everybody just like willfully wants to forget. Mm-hmm. You know, like and that's all like everybody. Like we 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 had a time period in our culture to me that was so significant in the shift that we now currently see. And there wasn't um it's 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 it it was the bridge between two generations and it was like the ugliest time, mm. like like be, be, because there wasn't, there was no like. Right, I'm, I mean, honestly, today scares me because it, it so looks like 1994 in our and, culture. And, and but, James, well, before we go back to 1994, just close the loop a little bit for our readers about this, the current status of of of, of Mr. Mr. Jones. Oh yeah, so um, briefly, um, if you just let me go back to the first 48 hours, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'll, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna tell you why it's important. For the first 48 hours, um, there was an eyewitness to the shooting. Um, and it was a friend of Eddie Harps. And she cooperated. She, that night, she told the police everything she saw. And she gave a description of the shooters. Um, this is one in the morning, right? One o'clock in the morning. She's the only eyewitness. She doesn't know anybody involved in any of this stuff except her friend who just lost her life. Um, by nine o'clock that morning, one of the assailants confesses. To or not to one of his associates, right? And the reason why he confesses is because two young ladies came through where they hang out and kind of got into an argument with them about the death of Eddie Hart and said, I know y'all had something to do with it. So he pulls his friend aside and we need to go and get guns because these guys might come through last night. Me, 
and another individual he shot and killed that boy at the hospital. The individual that he confesses to, within the next three hours, he's at the New Haven Police Department telling the police what he just found out from mm. one of the assailants. Mm. So within the first 24 hours, you have an eyewitness testimony, and then you have a third-party confession that supports exactly what the eyewitness says she saw. Right. And so then you also have an interview because when the names were given to the police, they went and picked up the other assailant. Mm. And when they asked him, where was he at the night of the shooting? He said, I was on Beer Street and he named the other assailant as the person he was with. Mm. When they asked him, what does he have on? He described the exact same outfit that Sheila McCray says one of the shooters had on. Right. And he, they both fit the description. She says under six feet, between 130, 140 pounds. And so within the first 48 hours, you, you, you had your case wrapped up for you. But it didn't fit the narrative of a group of detectives and what they wanted to do. And so weeks later, they found uh, someone addicted to crack cocaine who got caught with crack cocaine. And they convinced them to sign a statement against Malik Jones, saying that they saw Malik do the shooting. Now, they described a very movie-esque scene. He ran out with two guns turned sideways and he was shooting to the car. Malik had been shot in the hand a week before, a week prior to this shooting in a botched robbery. Someone tried to rob him. He, it was a struggle. He got shot in the hand. Three days prior to the shooting, he had surgery on his hand. This is his dominant hand, his left hand. Hmm. So there was no way he had two guns right, to begin with. And they knew this, but they used that statement to lock him up. Upon locking him up, they convinced the younger assailant who they were interviewing and had arrested also to now turn state's evidence against Malik. Hmm. So come time for trial, they never called the 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 original witness that they locked him up on because they know they couldn't, because it didn't fit it didn't fit anything. There was no way that that this story could possibly be true. They had the medical records and they had the ballistics, they had ballistics reports. So they put on so his case came down to one of the assailants reporting something new because when asked who was he with and where was he, he na- he he originally named the other assailant. He never never mentioned Malik in any, any of the statements. They interviewed him mm-hmm. twice. Now he introduces a third shooter. Malik being a third shooter, him being a shooter, and the other assailant who by the time they went to trial had been killed in New York um, after three shooters. The thing is, is that the crime scene investigation doesn't support his testimony and neither does the ballistics. So you so the state knew. The state knew in 1992 what they were doing. They knew in 1995 that they were fraudulently putting on a case against 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 an innocent man, and they pursued it. And they and they made and the the younger assailant he didn't want to testify. They they threatened to take away his deal and they threatened to pursue a life sentence if he didn't go after and testify. So he testified under duress, like they 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 willfully pushed. A fraudulent case into this man. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in nineteen ninety. That was so you know that was nineteen ninety five. His first trial, his first appeal, which he was denied, was in nineteen ninety seven. So just recently, on August tenth of this year, twenty twenty three, a federal judge overturned his case, stating that the appeals court got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we're talking. She's saying that twenty five years ago they made the wrong decision, based on on, on his trial that happened. 27 years ago on an arrest that happened 31 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, his case has been overturned on the denial of allowing 
uh, the person who heard the confession to testify and his lawyer's failure to do any investigation. He never even talked to the only the only eyewitness that had nothing to gain other than justice for her friend. He never even talked to her. So these were the issues that his case was overturned on. But he's still sitting in prison because the state has chosen to appeal the decision. Right? This is a choice now that the state is that, that the state is consciously making once again. As we speak right now, he still is behind bars. He's still behind bars. Brother McCauley, what respond to that? And let me just say um the, the I'm I'm in debt to Paul Bass for at the New Haven Independent for kind of securing the at the federal communication license to kind of start this low power station. And so he's allowed me to really bring people on uh, and not to disparage or character assassinate anyone or any, any, any individual or any institution, but just to, to exercise our, our, our free speech rights to the extent that they haven't been infringed upon before. So uh, I, I really appreciate what you just, just, just said, James. Donna, any, any response to what you just heard? Because if someone is had watched what I was, I was as you were speaking, James. My, I, I went through the movie again, the movie in my mind because you described it so, so, uh, so distinctly and and, and clearly. Uh, but any responsible what, what what you've just heard, James, James, say in terms of what was this the state's motivation? Was did the state have have some other ulterior motive? You're just curious. So, what, so, what, so what I can't, I can't at the, at the time I'm young, but I can't speak to the state's motive. What I will speak to is a conversation about objective mm -hmm. and, and finding a place in a person to be responsible. And I, and I think that I'm saying that it, I'll say gross misconduct, mm -hmm. trying to close cases um, and find the particular person that's connected or, or persuade other individuals to participate um, in a particular case to make their particular case. Uh, and I think that's that's somewhat problematic. The, if the evidence does not prove that this individual is in a particular space, evidence is is not evident or evidence is not present um, for this particular person. I think it becomes difficult for for citizens to have confidence in the institution, mm -hmm. um, and and we want to have to some degree we want to have a level of confidence in the institution, um, but to see this particular year or generation of, of policing, which I'm not going to say it's completely unchanged, but there are some similarities in terms of how things are happening across this country. Um, but the conversation is, if if nothing points to this person being in a particular place and time, then what is the motive? Um, because everything that transpires in time that is taken is really about how do we devalue this the humanity of the individual. And so some so my comments or feelings are about the state can't do anything about lost time. It's time taken for a particular initiative or or program um during a particular regime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that, mm -hmm. that, that that does not have to be that's that's not held accountable for particular actions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and practices and culture. Yeah. And, and I think and I think that um the other the other part is, is that um we 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 like to look at other people's backyards and inside their closets and we're like ooh like you know um I don't think that we live in a state that is uh particularly keen on cleaning house or looking inside 
um, what 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 lies in their closets. Um, and and you get to a place in culture, right? Like I remember one time having a conversation with um, the a movement out of Bridgeport that was getting super active around the shootings by police in Bridgeport, right? And I asked them, well, have you looked at the the claims of just simple assaults by police? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, I think you should. And the reason why I said I think you should is because you don't just come to a place where you, where you feel comfortable shooting people. Like there has to be a culture built and it has to start somewhere and it has to escalate and grow. Mm-hmm. And we live in a culture today where, you know, there's a comfortability with being uh, not just the arresting officer, but judge and executor. Right. And you have to, you have to develop that. And so, you know, uh, and and, 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 and and we can never we can't get tired of pushing the, the the historical narrative of this country because we lose if we do you know there are many people that that, that, look, that look to squash it but we have to push it and so when you come from a, a era that that in slavery you know under slavery there was there was there was one question that was constantly published mm-hmm. upon and that was do these African descendants have the, the capacity to be moral? Mm-hmm. Right, and then at the end of slavery, that immediately shifts to do they have the capacity not to be criminal, mm-hmm. right? And so we've been dealing with this 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 criminality wrapped around our frames. It's the reason why, you know, Don, who's a doctor, and me, who's formerly incarcerated, both run the same risk <laughs> driving a, driving in separate cars. Right, mm-hmm. it has nothing. It has nothing to do with the mm-hmm. actual. The actual records or actions has everything to do with what has been attacked to our bodies, and so we, you know, uh, out of that, when you have the, this 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 era of mass incarceration, you get you also get this era of a particular cultural policing where police have been given the license to play what they would say above the law, I would say beneath the law, um, and you know, crack a few eggs to make an omelet. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we it's been culturalized through TV shows. We 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 accept it. So, so the suburbs accept it because it makes them feel safe about what's going on in our communities. And so no one, well, not no one, but those who live outside our community are concerned what's going on in our community, and our community is too enthralled in it and in what's going on to really have, like we're wading water. We don't know how to really navigate through, and we have this generation that suffered. Um, at its own hands and at the hands of the police. We we Reagan was like the deregulator, right? He deregulated television, deregulated Wall Street. Well, through contrary, he also deregulated streets. Like we had an influx of finances coming to our communities through drugs. I've never seen before. And it was open to anybody who went outside. And it caused so much chaos in our communities that a lot of that our harm began to be at our hands. Mm-hmm. And we've never experienced that as a people. Like we've never had that experience until this until this generation, where we were the largest cause of harm in our communities, and it was our kids. And what do you do with that? What do you tell a child who can go outside and earn more than their parents can not to? Right when they when they grow up in reality, always having more months than money, and now all of a sudden that's a shift. It's the only shift that's been that that they can see, you know, and they're limited. Uh, capacities of of because they don't see outside their community, mm-hmm. and so you have that you have this you have this one aspect combined with 
this particular brand of policing. And that particular brand of policing in itself was illegal. And in New Haven at that time, you had a group of officers who were better drug dealers than the drug dealers because they were able to rob the drug dealers and force them to sell drugs for them. And, and, and this is the part of the history of our, of our, of our town's policing that doesn't get discussed. And it's mm-hmm. not every, it's not every cop. It's a group. Yeah, sure. It's and, a group. And, and, and I'll, I'll urge people to kind of Google Billy White if they so choose, uh, and, and they'll see what's the, at least in, in the printed record uh, uh, in the, about, about, about Billy. Uh, and the printed record, and he, he was at that time the head of the task. So if your head is willing to do this, what is everybody underneath him? What, what, what has culturally been developed within the, te- within the drug task force if the, the, the head of it is willing to go to these lengths this late in his career? Mm-hmm. What has he done throughout his career that's brought him to this place, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. What is the, and what is now the culture that he oversees and creates? And these are the things that we don't want to look at. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll add, add to James' point. So mm-hmm. I think we talk mm-hmm. we for culture. There is this kind of hero heroist idea around policing and that we understand in social media and in space. And so when we give them that cloud, which we call qualified immunity, um, it operates in a particular place where power is abused. They have the access, and they and, and knowingly, knowingly you have the access and power to do as you will to move things. Um, and I, th- I think the reason that we're here now is getting at the core versus mm-hmm. the legal system. It's saying that how are individuals police and exercising the culture of policing where we have this kind of heroistic mindset that to some degree is negligent. It's it's an abuse of power um, that, that we do not have a system that's counter to hold it accountable for the specific actions that we're we're specifically talking about. Mm-hmm. And so when we romanticize this idea of like this policing space to protect and 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 serve but then how how does protecting and serving deal with poverty? Mm-hmm. How does it have a conversation mm-hmm. with poverty? Does it protect not not to protect poverty, but how does it protect those that are like indefensible in in certain spaces? And and, and James say as we we have about 20 more minutes. And I do want to talk about James, your current, your current involvement uh, in terms of, if not immediate solutions, just working toward that path toward liberation and justice. And mm-hmm. same thing for you, uh, 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 Junior, Dr. McCauley Jr., et cetera. But, but, but James, close the loop a little bit. I'm not necessarily close the loop on, on the Malik story. He still is um, incarcerated. Where are we with the appeal process if anybody wants to get involved or kind of assist? Or do you know who's, rep- yeah. who's representing him? So, so um, there's something a little sketchy going on representation. I think that 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 we'll, we'll be able to speak to that a little, not not today, but at some point about okay. um, that points out the larger uh, relationality that I think is a huge issue in this state with uh, a community of of, of 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 the legal community and how friendships and relationships trump justice, trump truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Uh, I think that that that's an issue that we need to speak to because it's it's an issue that's actually getting highly in the way of anything happening or the fact that it takes 31 years to get to this point. Um, the state has uh, stated their intent to appeal. Um, there's actually no legal. I mean, they can they have the right to file appeal. They have the right to waste more tax dollars, um, a, a lot of tax dollars on fighting something that 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 will not be reversed. This ruling will not be reversed. 
Um, this ruling is a lot lighter than it should be. Um, his Brady claim, uh, and and his, and this is the part that our system that I don't I don't know if people know, but like, uh, Malik was a pro se litigant until his family found money to to pay for his lawyers, and he you know his his representation has been questionable. Meaning, um, like a public def a public defender represented him. No, meaning that Malik was pro se. Malik filed all of his own motions. All of oh, his own. He was representing himself. Oh, huh. Yeah, and and you know, um, to be honest, because a lot of times these men, I I I was in a cell with him. I understand how the mind of an innocent person works now because of that. Like they don't think through anything else. Um, he spent his days with legal work all over the cell, um, creating his own, um, uh, piecing evidence together, researching. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is this is his life. Mm -hmm. finding his way out of something that he didn't that that was on him that didn't belong on him mm -hmm. um and so he knows his he knows his issues in this case better than anyone um his lawyers amended and changed his uh brady claim brief which harmed him and then they and then i think the, the the good thing that we were able to do um as full citizens was that we were able to get around between 70 and 80 people into a courtroom to witness <laughs> to witness mm -hmm. these oral arguments from community and to witness how poor of a job that was done um, when it came to pushing claims against the prosecution. Because mm -hmm. um, his, his prosecutor is now a, a pretty prominent judge in the state. Um, and so, you know, because they, they followed their intent, um, he uh, on October 2nd, which is actually on National Exonerations Day, um, they will, the, the judge will, they have two October 2nd to the state why they don't want him released on bond and uh, whether or not they actually uh, intend on appealing. My, my my personal opinion is that they're trying to wait out a new cycle. And at and that's why they keep him in prison. Like, there's been too much publicity in state around his case, and they'd rather try to have things die down because there's so much more to come out. Like, I'm not at liberty to reveal everything mm -hmm. concerning mm -hmm. his case. And I think that um, hearing it from him and allowing him to talk through it is, is, is the best way for it to come out. So, um, I think that's there's that those are some of the motives at at the root of this. And when and when we talk about police, and I, I do want to point out the fact that like um, concerning the same prosecutor and some of the same detectives, you have the Scott Lewis and Stefan Moran case um that was overturned, and in large part some of that wouldn't have happened if uh Sergeant wouldn't have come forth and said that I, there's no way these guys should be in jail. Mm -hmm. Like he he had left and went to Bosnia because he was. Uh, in the reserves, and when he came back and found out that they were incarcerated, he was the first one to, to, to sound the alarm that all the evidence gathered in this case was, was gathered illegally. I, mm -hmm. I know that I, it would never happen if I hadn't left. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, in, in, in the same way that you have a detective in um, Malik's case who, you know, he testified that there was no support uh, in evidence, mm -hmm. in ballistics, or in the crime scene to support their only eyewitnesses, uh, their only eyewitness evidence, the only eyewitness testimony. And so you 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 have these dualities, right? And I think uh, sometimes it becomes more confusing because of that, mm -hmm. right? You 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 because you because I think we hold to the we hold hard to the belief that, that um, protecting and serving is a a, a a full on department concept, and and that there there there's never an entity within it. That is only looking to to protect their their own interests and to serve their own interests, um, but yet it's it's evident that that, that that's what we have, um, mm -hmm. and you don't and you don't you don't crack any of that without having someone inside being mm -hmm. willing to come forth and say, "Yo, this is what's happening."
Well, you, you, you've offered up and I hope you'll take me up. I'd like to offer up us to kind of resume once, whenever the timing is right for us to kind of do the, the part two or part three, part, part four. Uh, Don, be, be, before, I, before, I, before I come to you, I guess I want to ask James as we kind of wind down. We have about 10, 15 minutes, 10, 10 minutes actually. Uh, your, your current involvement, uh, uh, unpack, uh, the, the, you mentioned Dwight, you mentioned Yale, you mentioned Justice. Unpack those, those titles that you have and what's, what, what's on your plate moving forward. Yeah, so um, uh, Full Citizens Coalition is a Connecticut-based action group that seeks to undo the unjust arm of felony disenfranchising. Um, you know, we we go after uh, civic engagement, we go after the voting rights of our people um, because it has like it has harmed our community with uh, an impact that I don't I don't think we we are any longer in a generation that will be safe. Um so that that has been that is our, our main priority. Uh, up until Rep King Green in two thousand and one uh had gotten voting rights back for those with felonies in general. You know, we had our communities in an area where we were incarcerated at an extremely high rate being locked out completely. Mm. You know, and so you know in that one passing of passing of law in two thousand and one you have the restoration of voting rights to over 100,000 people in our communities. And if you think if you think through the impact of 30 years of being locked out and what that does to our homes, mm. because the conversation ceases to happen in our homes, right? And once that happens, it longer happens in our communities. And so, you know, it was 20 years later where after a three and a half year campaign, we, we were able to uh, successfully restore voting rights back to everyone who steps out of a prison first day home whether you're on parole or not everybody's uh, rights are, are, are restored to them and now we're fighting with full-on enfranchising um all of my work even at the white hall is still rooted uh in that civic allyship came out of student volunteers canvassing mm-hmm. yale for us um and with the work of malik um you know our first our first publications um, our first set of researchers were students that came through the White Hall that year, from between between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty two. You're you're fading out just a little bit. Yeah, oh, between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty two. So we mm-hmm. had um, some some really good students who were willing to uh, do the research, and some great students who were willing to write groups, uh, really um, in depth articles that were picked up by the independent. And, and if folks want to kind of get involved or or stay in touch or be informed. Uh... James, in terms of your activities, what's the best way for that to for that to happen? Uh reach out at uh foodcitizenscoalition.org. Um yeah, that's that's probably that's that's the best way to immediately get involved, be added to our list or we do mail outs on um what we're doing, what's been happening, um, what's the latest around uh rights restoration, the latest around Malou's case, as well as uh, the cases of others. Yeah, so I mean we do this because we always recommend you to do it. Excellent. And Donald, talk to me. So I, I'll say for me, uh, my involvement in the case is more so supporting James, but also I'm the medium. So when it when the um, the documentary came out about those that were exonerated and me watching the video, um, I saw a lot of my teammates. I saw a lot of my friends. I saw a lot of students that I work with now mm. um, and a lot of them um, in the K to 12 school system um, are still suffering. So, again, I'm I'm the family support. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the family, understanding, having the conversation and giving them access, giving them hope, um, having conversations that they're probably not privy to or they don't have access to or have connections to. Um, I stand particularly in that particular gap. Um, Athlete Alliance does focus on athletes specifically, but largely we just kind of focus on community. Athlete athletics becomes like a medium 
But the real reality is that what's happening in our community, and I, I do this merging thing that we've talked about before, about Black athletes, criminal, Black male criminality, um, and pipeline to prison, they're all intersected at particular times. Mm-hmm. So specifically how bl- Black males operated in particular space by space and size, um, there are particular relationships in terms of where they should be or their relationship to space and, and also why they're participating in a particular sport. So I I say all that to say that like I'm I'm an additional arm of what James' work is already is. I was at Psy City and Dwight Hall as a fellow, but my particular work is how does the family operate when folks leave? Mm-hmm. How do they become supported? Um, and also thinking about extracurricular activity to create that motivation and energy when folks are grieving on these particular things in the absence of family. So mm-hmm. um I support the work um, that's Athlete Alliance Foundation, Athlete Alliance Consulting. Um, and the goal is really to be the middle gap um, in supporting families and athletics and using it as a tool to support families moving forward. And, and Donald, don't don't leave folks hanging. Share with us your, uh, I won't say ivory tower, because you're trying to at least make it, if not black or browner, or at least... A, uh, more Creole or more a little more nuanced. Uh, so so uh, Quinnipiac allows you to kind of step and step through those gates on a, an think, occasional I, basis. I think Quinnipiac is definitely open and interested. Um, I've had a great a lot a great amount of support in my first couple months that I've been at the institution. So diversity inclusion is definitely one of their hot topics. Um, I do sport entertainment management, um, but outside of just the classroom. I think that they have an interest in terms of this particular topic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's collaborations with our law school, our um, social justice, nursing, mental health. Um, and these topics are interesting. And I think it's been important that Quinnipiac has really not been on the main stage about these particular conversations. And they're willing mm-hmm. good, to have good. these conversations good. and move it through and bring programs and counseling and creating being a viable space for these conversations where I, I think some of the other institutions are very hesitant to have these conversations. Excellent. And, and Quinnipiac, yeah, of course, to... has, has a law school also at Quinnipiac. Yeah, James, yeah. I was, about this, I, was, I was just about to shout out uh, the social justice clinic and Sarah Russell at the, at the law school. They've been like, uh, for, the, for, for, you know, for, I was a fellow there in 2019. So for all of our issues, they've been super supportive, including this one right here. They've been like really, really supportive. So. We have about four, four more, up, yeah. about four more minutes, everybody. So as whatever's on this, I want to give you guys the last word. But Donna, when you called me uh, that evening, about two and a half, three weeks, three weeks ago, you, you referenced that James thought that yes, the Malik Jones uh, situation has gotten some press, but the reporting, the the context, the the press was still the the media, the media was still uh, insufficient in terms of uh, telling the real the. All, all of the context of the nuances and context of the story. Wonder, James, if, if that's still true, and, and what, what what was the the media missing? What what has the media been missing thus far in terms of sharing with the community? I'll, I'll get that one to James. James. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, I, I I think what's missing the truth of the case. So you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a difference between legal processes and truth. Um, when you once you're out of the the, the trial court, everything else is about process. It's about what went wrong in these judicial processes. It's not necessarily about truth. Um, and we've been trying to speak to the truth of the situation. We've been trying to speak to the way that Malik, Malik was prosecuted. 
um, exactly what transpired um, in his in his initial trial and how he came to be incarcerated these past thirty one years, and and that hasn't been, you know, in in larger media, uh, something that anyone that they want to talk about. They will they will they will, they will print that his case has been flipped. They will print, you know, um, some something that were far more salacious, but weren't dealing with the facts of the case. Um, even though we're speaking to him, like we would do full on interviews about the facts of the case, about about the facts of what actually happened, mm-hmm. and what would get printed is the ruling. And we're saying, okay, there's a gap here though that that no one has been willing to to really let let, let be be heard. Um, and 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 Don really came through. He like me and him. He I was just kind of like venting, and he just kept me back with like, hey, you want to talk to Tom Flickland? I was like, thank you. <laughs> and so this is like relation re, relationality working for us as opposed to working against us because that's I think that's the issue. Whether it's law, whether it's media, people don't want to harm the relationships. The, the truth, truth will take a back seat in some cases to relationships. And in our state, I see it. I see it. You know, throughout these these institutions, happening uh, far too often. Interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in before we, we close. I think that mm-hmm. what's really said, and I think that what I've seen in other cases and and friends that I've dealt with, that once the case is decided the appeal goes to a particular space and then it's not about the particular evidence. It goes to how do I um, turn over an appeal, uh-huh. an appeal, an appeal. And I, th- I think that becomes a challenging situation. So understanding the particular legal system, how it operates, because a person should not have been there from the beginning. Uh-huh. That is, is, is when you talk about justice and, or where does individuals decide where the level of justice is, is that if the person wasn't supposed to be there, what we're paying for is an appeal of a judgment that that rendered itself to a particular court or raised it to another court. So it's been escalated in a time where it it probably should have never happened. And mm-hmm. so there, 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 and so that conversation, understanding how justice operates and the the specific arms of justice operating in that particular way, where it's like, how do you arrive at that? And I don't think a lot of people know that. In an appeals court, it's not about another trial. It's uh, it's about appealing the evidence to uh-huh. to visit a trial that needs to be appealed based on the evidence. Uh-huh. And that that's a whole different conversation. Saying I don't think I had a I, I didn't get a fair just due. One hundred percent. The the fair just due doesn't even resonate. And and once you get into those processes, it's really. Processes about processes, you know. So it's <laughs> yeah, mm. it's like Kafka's the trial. Like it, it's it's crazy how accurate the that that book is. Uh, Don, I want to give you a minute for kind of your your last kind of comment or thought, and then James as well. I'm uh, I'm, here, I'm here for the work. Um, obviously, I'm at QU. I do sport entertainment management, but again, the the core goal is about supporting community. I use sport entertainment as a as a caveat for things that people want to are interested in. But there are lar- larger cultural and social issues that happen within those areas that have issues, and so uh, I just use those specific avenues to address other social issues that are undergirded. So I mean, for me, I'm more sociology and psychology versus I'm actually business, but I'm here to support the work in any kind of way I can. Excellent. And James? 
Um, I'm here for a reckoning. Uh, Malik's case is an all-encompassing example of an error, and I'm hoping that we come to a place where we're going to examine the error um, and make right some things that we can and heal from a, a lot of what transpired. Um, Full Citizens Coalition is looking to do more of this work, looking to bring rights back to our community so we can create our own equity. Excellent, excellent. And again, let, let's try to come, come back. You know, it, 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 I have nothing else to do on Fridays at 11 o'clock. And even Monday, even I might squeeze in on Monday at 11 o'clock. We broadcast twice a week. And this this is so important. I went to Bucknell University in Lewisburg, and you could see the uh, Lewisburg Penitentiary from the campus. So I've been kind of mm. into this issue for, for some time, and I appreciate your uh, your sharing from the heart. Gentlemen, that, that's it. Harry, that's it. Let's, let's go to the uh, the last poets, and everybody enjoy the weekend. Uh, uh, James, get a quick, quick shout out. November, so, re, re, share with the folks about November and why they should participate now that they have the, the right to, to vote. Oh well, because politicians only only, only respect two things: the support and the power against their support. So you, we can choose which one we choose to be, and then we can also understand that uh, once you vote, they work for you. Mm. These are your employees. So think about it in that manner, and think about the benefit to your community. Our community, our the vote in our community should not be controlled by a minimal population. We are the majority of our communities. We can run our community. We can own our communities, but we got to turn up. Excellent, excellent. Thanks. Just turn out and turn up, right? Right. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Understand what black is. The source from which all things come. Security blanket for the stars understand what black is it's not a color it's the basis of all colors it is not a complexion it is a reflection of all complexions called human and out of this blackness passion flows like a river feelings tell the truth song and dance and making you laugh are family members Understand what black is, the breath you breathe, the sweat on your brow, the cheers and the tears balancing the world.